Well, good morning again. We'll be in John chapter 13, if you want to turn your scripture to there. John chapter 13. If you don't have scripture, um, there is some just sitting on the back over there on that little turnstile that's back there. Feel free to grab one. If you don't own scripture, feel free to take one home with you, please. Second chances are great, aren't they? Who here has experienced a second chance? Show of hands. Who's had a second chance given to them when they should, probably shouldn't have been able to, right? Go ahead, put your hands down. It's a beautiful thing to be given a second chance, but there's a part of a second chance that requires us to take action on it, right? There's a story this week as a celebration of what's called the four chaplains. There was a priest, two Protestant chaplains in the military, and then a, a rabbi. And they were all traveling on a vessel from United States over to England during World War II. And in the middle of the Atlantic, as they were getting closer um, you know, further north up by Greenland and uh, that area, which was a really heavily traveled and heavily, da- or a very dangerous area because of the Nazi subs that were up there, their ship got hit by a torpedo and it began to sink. And unfortunately what happened was is when it got hit, the lights all went out, it became dark, um, it created fires down below and so soldiers and airmen and seamen and everybody that were just being transported on this ship started to spill out from the bombs, but as they came out of their areas that they were down in the holes, they forgot their life vests because they couldn't find it, they couldn't get back to where they needed to be in the chaos they weren't able and so as they started to run up, they forgot to bring their life jackets. Now these aren't nice, comfortable ones that you wear. These were the old cork ones. In fact, they were as likely to break your neck after you jumped off the top of the, the railing as they were to save your life when you hit the water. But the fact of it was, was, as they came up, they were handing out all the extras they could. And here these four chaplains are at the top of the stairs handing them out. And I want you to think, there's a long line. and Soldiers are usually pretty orderly and so they're, take your time, relax. We've got boats. We're, we'll get you there. We'll get you there. And they're moving people, and they're moving people, and they're handing out all these extras that are sitting up on the deck. But eventually the extras run out. Why? Well, because they didn't bring extras for everybody on the boat. They had all been assigned one. And so they ran out of extras. Can you imagine being in that line as you see the pile dwindling? As you see the pile getting lower and lower. Can you imagine being those last couple guys as they came up feeling the, the second chance of life as they were handed one of the last ones? Or could you imagine being the guy standing behind them as that dwindled? And as you noticed, there were none left. I can't imagine the hopelessness of, of those soldiers as they came up the stairs and saw there was nothing left. But they were given a second chance, at least four of them were. The chaplains, being the fine, upstanding Officers that they were had been wearing their vests. They had remembered to grab them when they left their quarters and they had taken them up on top deck with them and all four of them to a T shed their vest and handed it to the four guys that came up, the next four guys. See, sometimes a second chance requires someone else's sacrifice for you to get your second chance. Sometimes we have to be mindful of that. Sometimes we have to realize that the very chance that we're getting in that second chance was because someone else was willing to sacrifice something of their own. Those four chaplains were seen sinking with the ship, holding hands, praying for their, for, for, for their peace, but also for the salvation of everybody that had to go overboard. They were seen continuing to be calm and collected and moving troops to safety and ushering them into places of better survivability all knowing that their chance was gone. 
That's the story we're going to read today. See, in John chapter 13, Jesus offers Judas a second chance. That's whether Judas is willing to take it or not. And we'll have that conversation. So I want you to think of that second chance you've had. That ability to be granted something that you didn't deserve, but someone else was willing to sacrifice something in their world so that you could possibly have something greater in your world. I want you to think about that as we read this. So please stand with me as we read John chapter 13, starting verse 21 through 30. It says, When Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples started looking at one another, uncertain which one he was speaking about. And one of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining close beside Jesus. Simon Peter motioned to him to find out who it was he was talking about. And so he leaned back against Jesus and asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus replied, He's the one I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. And after Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And so Jesus told him, what you're doing, do quickly. None of those reclining at the table knew why he had said this to him. Since Judas kept the money big, some thought that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. And after receiving the piece of bread, he immediately left, and it was night. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come into your presence today to hear your word, not just for the knowledge of it, but for the wisdom and the discernment it can give us, the impact of our heart and soul that it brings upon us. And so, Lord God, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit into this moment that we may understand your teaching greatly, not just in the head, but in our whole life, that it imparts on us a necessity to follow you, to choose you, to take that second chance that you're giving us, and to not turn away. Lord God, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So a quick refresher, this is happening the night that he's betrayed. It's the final supper. He's moved from that very public ministry that he had been doing for all these years and he's moved into a very intimate, very close ministry with just those of his disciples and those who sit with him inside the the upper chamber of where he's celebrating the Passover meal. It's as he's going through the Passover meal that we come to this point. There's a lot of discussion about the bread and the dipping. Uh, There doesn't seem to be any real understanding within commentary of what that would mean. The only time that you dip two things together is is the bitter herbs with the sweet relish that's there inside the Seder meal. So we're not quite sure where the context is inside this moment. But we know that it's pretty symbolic. We know that the breaking of bread for each other was a signing of a contract. So like if we were to enter into contract together, we would sit and break bread. We would eat meal together, right? This was a common practice within their tradition. And so we know that the symbology of the bread is contractual, covenantal. 
inside of it. In fact, we see that later in the Lord's Supper when we get to it later in chapter 18. We'll explain that much deeper there, but we need to remember that, that we've talked about that in the past. And then we get this little bit added in 21. He says, when Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit and testified. See, a lot of times we forget that Jesus felt the same pain and anguish that we felt or that we feel. We forget that he was fully human along with fully divine. And so we sit there and we pull out the the miracles of him healing the sick and making the blind see and raising the dead and feeding the multitudes. But then we forget that he wept for Lazarus. And here we see that human emotion, that, that that, that sense of being in communion with us as humans. And that he was troubled with the knowledge that Judas was going to betray him. And he says, hey, one of you is going to betray me. Can you imagine announcing that outside of yourself to the group of people and one of them sitting right there? Can you imagine how hard that would be for us to do so? Half the time, we don't even like conflict to sit there and say, hey, listen, you're standing on my toe. But let alone to call someone out who's about to betray you. In a, in, a, in a way that is going to send you to the cross. Yeah, his heart was troubled. He was troubled that he was going to have to walk through this process. He was troubled that someone close to him, someone he loved dearly, someone he had poured himself into for three years, or two and a half years roughly at this time, was going to betray him. See, we feel those emotions a lot. See, we, we see that amongst ourselves all too often. That person hurt me and this, this person did it and, and we feel the pain inside from it. But we're not alone. Jesus felt that too. And so we have to ask ourselves, the question is, is who do we feel our betrayal towards? Do we feel that God has betrayed us at some point? Do we blame other people for the betrayal that has happened in our lives? Do we take ownership in those things that we've betrayed others in? See, we we got to ask that question. We can't just ignore the fact that Jesus called out Judas here that someone's going to betray him. And we need to call ourselves out. Are we betraying Jesus too? Are we doing what he's called us to do? Are we living the life that glorifies him and honors him or, or are we betraying that? Do we betray the trust he has instilled in us as a child of God and the belief of Jesus Christ or... Do we choose to follow our own will? See, a lot of times this is translated in in a sense of, or is taught in the sense that, oh, this is a warning not to be a Judas. But the fact is, is the teaching that's here is that second chance that's going to be offered coming up. The second part that we run into is 22. The disciples started looking at one another, uncertain which one he was speaking about. And so one of the disciples, the one Jesus loved, that was reclining close beside him, right? We've talked about when they ate special meals, they were at a low table with couch, like a couch with pillows around it, and you actually leaned. And they'd be leaning on their left side, so they'd all be kind of facing the same direction. It wouldn't look anything like um, the paintings that we see of the Last Supper with, you know, the big chairs and, and the big huge spread. It would have been a little small table that they were sitting around and eating, and it would have been a group of them. And so... We see this section here where the disciples now have a question. They don't know. They, they've heard, oh, one of you is going to betray me from Jesus. And now they're looking amongst each other. 
But the question that I think we should ask ourselves in this and, and the question that they should have asked themselves is the very fact is like, if Jesus was to say that to us, would we know ourselves enough? Would we know our relationship with Christ deep enough to know if we were the ones who were betraying him or not? Or would we all sit there and look around for the other person who was going to betray him because we didn't know our relationship with Christ one way or another? See, that's what this is showing is that when he says that one of you is going to betray me, they start looking around for who it might be because they aren't certain. Which means they don't know their own relationship with Jesus Christ enough to know whether or not it's them. And so they're hoping and they start searching through the question of which one is it so that Christ will identify that's not them at least. But see, this is the beauty of the hope we have in Jesus Christ that if we believe in him and we honor him and glorify him and we walk in accordance with the commands that he has given us, then we should have complete faith and complete assurance that we aren't in betrayal of who Jesus Christ is. And so people ask all the time, is it important to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is it, is it more important to dive in and understand who Christ is or, or should we just kind of walk along in feeling an emotion? And my, my argument to that concept is this, is if you just walk around with emotion, every time you come in and out of that emotion of connection, you're going to start questioning whether or not you are being a betrayal or a betrayer of Jesus Christ. But if you walk in knowledge of who Christ is, if you walk in accordance to who he has committed you to be, there's never a question in your heart. In fact, I was just having a conversation with a chaplain not too long ago who is struggling in his faith. And the conversation came down to, well, you know, people judge and you end up in that box. And I had to tell him, I said, the only person that puts you in that box is yourself. Because if you follow Christ and you pursue the purpose that Christ has made you for, there should never be a question in your heart whether or not you're honoring and glorifying and, and living out your purpose. And so the only box you can set yourself in is the one that you allow yourself to be put into. The question that it gets asked is, Lord, who is it? It's because of their unassurance of who they are in Christ. And while we might find some error in that, you've got to have to think. We have 20-20 hindsight on this. We know Christ has risen off the cross and has ascended to the right seed of the Father. We, we have those facts inside of us because we've been taught those facts. And so we can step forward with assurance of knowing who Christ is, but they didn't have that at that time. And so with all the teaching and everything that they've seen and the miracles, they were sure he was of the divine nature. They knew he was of God. They were pretty sure he was the Messiah to the point where they had started confessing this. But to know what it meant to walk with him was a brand new concept. But guess what? Each one of us starts our walk with Christ in that brand new concept also. Each one of us comes to a point where we have to ask ourselves, Lord, who is it? Is it me? Am I the one who brings this pain upon you, this troubled spirit? Because we are unsure. Maybe that's where you are in your walk right now today. Maybe you aren't sure who Christ is and you like what you hear about Jesus Christ. And maybe you've even confessed that he's your Lord and Savior, but you don't know what to do with that. And so you've been asking this question, Lord, who is it? Now Jesus will give you the answer he gives this. 
He says, listen. He's the one I give a piece of bread to after I have dipped it. And then he dips the bread and he gives it to Judas, Simon Iscariot. He gives them the answer right in front of them, right at that time. See, when you ask God directly, when you ask Jesus Christ direct questions, he'll give you direct answers. I'll be the first to tell you they may not always be the most easy to understand and they may not always be the most easy to follow through with, but he'll give you the answer. Right here, he calls Judas out. He sits there and he makes the announcement. It's who I dip the bread to and give it to that's going to be the one who betrays me. And then he dips the bread and he walks over and he gives it to Judas. And after Judas ate the piece of bread, so he accepts the bread. Remember the symbology of accepting bread between two people in this moment. It's a covenant. It's a contractual concept. It's to bring people into agreement with each other. This is Judas's second chance. He's already plotted with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's already done those things in the Sanhedrin. He's already made his pact and accepted the price of what it was going to be to go out and betray Jesus Christ. He's already done that in his heart and, and Christ comes before him and offers it up for him to be in communion again with him, to be in covenant with him again. It's Judas' second chance. He dips the bread and he gives him the bread and he accepts it and eats it. And Jesus does that for each and every one of us. It's not a dipping of the bread, it's the actions of the cross. See, I talked to you about how those four chaplains gave away their vests knowing the sacrifice that they were making in that process. Knowing that the ship was sinking and there was nothing that was going to stop it from sinking. Knowing that being in the water of your own volition for more than a minute was going to be impossible because your body would start to seize up because of how cold the water was. They knew that without the life vest, there was no hope to survive the event that was going on. Jesus, before Judas, gives him the second chance knowing he's going to the cross. Knowing that the price that is about to be paid is his life. And Jesus takes the bread and eats it. And it says that Satan entered him. And so Jesus told him, what you're doing, do quickly. A second chance being offered. He's like, listen, Whatever has happened can be forgiven. From this moment on, what you chose to do will be what condemns you. That will be your judgment. And Judas, instead of taking the second chance that's being offered up to him, decides to walk away. The question I have for you is, Jesus Christ has given you the second chance. Every day he offers it up and he gives you the opportunity to accept the bread, accept the truth of what the cross is, the fact that he went to it and died for each and every one of us, that we can believe in Jesus Christ and receive salvation. Our second chance has been given at a great sacrifice. See, while those four chaplains might have sacrificed their lives, they were all very much understood the grace of God and knew that in belief they were going to be saved. 
And so while their sacrifice was great in the flesh, they knew the reward that was coming. Jesus Christ goes to the cross knowing the reward that's there. And he offers it up to each and every one of us, even though we've betrayed him at some point. Even though he knows the heart that we sit with, he offers up a a second chance to be in him. And the beauty of that is no matter where you've been in life, no matter what you've done in life before, he stands before you today with that second chance. He sits here today with the opportunity, the bread being passed out to you, to sit there and say, I am here for you, and I'm willing to sacrifice for you. And so as we sit here and we we see the scripture, it's not a, a warning not to be a Judas. Because I hate to tell you, we're all Judases. We have all sinned against God. We have all come to a place where we've betrayed our Lord and our Savior. We're all a Judas. We can't alleviate that condition of the human nature. But what we can do is we can take the second chance that Jesus Christ has given us to accept the bread, the body that was broken for us, and live in covenant with him. Now those who were sitting at the table were still confused and they said to him, you know, that, you know Judas might have taken the money and, and gone to buy stuff for the festival or, or maybe gone and done something for the poor. They, they didn't understand what Jesus had just showed them. They didn't understand that Judas was being given his second chance to walk away from Satan, to to alleviate the the effects of sin in his life and to find himself in communion with Christ. But the writer of John tells us that after receiving the piece of bread, Judas immediately left. So he listens to what Jesus says that whatever you're going to do, do quickly, he does. He receives the bread, he gets up and he walks out. And he walks past his second chance. He literally comes up the stairs, sees the life vest handed out to him in front of him and walks past it to make his own future towards the disaster that is pending. He immediately leaves and it says, and it was night, creating the sense of a bull, or um, of just deep darkness and aboding of, of evil is exactly what the author is trying to get there. For that's what the night represented. Because that was the time that the highwaymen would come out and, and do their damage or people would steal from you. It was at night. So the question that I ask you today as we finish up and as we go into this week is, is how are you going to take your second chance? Are you going to accept the second chance that Jesus has given you and are you going to take it into your heart and let it change you? Are you going to let it dry, dry, uh, excuse me, bring you up and out of the darkness? See, because each and every day, sin is available. Each and every day, we can choose to not accept what Christ has given us, not be a child of God and to pursue the world. Every day we can separate ourselves out and and make those choices to follow darkness as Judas does and to find ourselves in the night 
or we can find ourselves before Christ accepting the bread of life and pursuing what he has for us. And in that life, there is hope and eternal life. In that life, there is joy because we can know a deep and passionate relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we have to take the second chance. We have to pick up the life vest, knowing that, yes, there was a sacrifice that was attached to it, but that sacrifice was given willfully and freely to honor God. And by us accepting that sacrifice and and being given new life through that sacrifice, we also glorify and honor God. Instead of walking into the darkness and going and plotting against God, we can walk with God and be in his light and not be subject to the darkness that is around us. So the question to you today is, is which way will you take your second chance? Thank you. Amen.